0: Hello, welcome to the Crazy Bird Podcast. I'm your host, Violeta Kamińska, and I'm here with a wonderful guest, El Luna. Hi, El. Hi,
1: Violeta. It's wonderful to be here.
0: It's wonderful to have you here. So let me introduce you to our listeners. El Luna is a designer, painter, and writer, and the author of The Crossroads of Should and Must. She facilitates a global art movement, The 100 Day Project, where participants create and post something every day for 100 days. She has played a key role in shaping some of the defining products and applications of our time, working as a designer at IDEO, Mailbox, Medium, and Uber. After years as a designer, Elle faced her own crossroads. In a powerful Medium post that went viral, Elle described the realization that despite her professional success, all she really loved to do was paint, step by step while continuing to work full-time as a designer, she walked her path toward becoming an artist until she could leave the corporate world behind in pursuit of her must. In her first book, The Crossroads of Should and Must, Workman Publishing, 2015, Elle explains, there are two paths in life, should and must. We arrive at this crossroads over and over again, and every day we get to choose. Recently, in early 2018, Elle released her second book, co-authored with Susie Herrick, Your Story is Your Power, Free Your Feminine Voice, a potently instructive toolkit on self-examination. It lays out how properly defining and understanding our own lives can help form better futures. Elle currently resides in San Francisco and online at elluna.com. Welcome to the Crazy Bird Podcast, Elle. Thank you. I'm really, really excited to have you here. Thank you for finding the time. So, Elle, I met you quite a while back. And I met you, it was March, I remember exactly the date, and I'll explain how I remember the date. March 27th, 2013. It was creative morning, Friday, early morning, very early morning, probably 8.30, uh, Zendesk creative morning and that's when you gave a very inspiring talk to a very big audience and i'm holding my book you can see it i'm holding my your book well it's your book but it's my book now i'm holding the book the crossroads of should and must find and follow your passion i was in the audience you were the speaker i was i think in the second row and i remember that because the recording from that talk is available online so i can see a little bit of my head even there so wow. that's I was really impressed when I saw it. The reason why I remember exactly the date is because that book was bought to me. It was a gift. I came to that talk with a friend of mine, Vida. And Vida wants me to say hi to you. She's a big fan. And Vida wrote me a beautiful dedication. It's so personal that I will not read it, but Vida asked me in her last line to promise to promise her that I will always follow my must and my dreams. So that was the beautiful dedication mm-hmm. and there is uh, a date and there is your signature because you also signed the book i will let you actually say a word because i've been so excited and that i'm just having a monologue right now and my uh, and our listeners might believe that might think you are not even here i'm just like talking to myself pretending that else Alice...
1: <laughs> i'm right here i'm i'm we have the luxury of having a video chat open so i'm getting to to see violetta and um you're just glowing it's it it sounds like your friend, your sweet friend uh, just gave you the the right message at just the right time and um,
0: what a sweet friend
1: to get that book and to to take Mm -hmm. the time to write a dedication like that
0: that's very true, you know I think I wasn't the only one uh, well my friend and I but everybody in the audience participated in that talk for a very personal reason, so that was 2013, seven years ago but I still, I feel how relevant that talk is. And actually, I looked up the recording online and video and I watched it just a couple of days ago. And I w- watched it and I didn't feel it was dated in any way. It just felt like I watched some sort of talk, TED talk or your presentation recorded maybe yesterday. And I it's not always like this when you watch certain talks, right? Because, you know, there are certain references that are particular to particular time that might not be so relevant in our times, you know, a few years later. But I feel that what you were talking about is not only very relevant, but I feel it's even more relevant than ever. times, are quite difficult in many ways. And it's often, I often hear from students, I often hear from colleagues, friends, um, creative individuals, that it's not even a person who's not creating art, but creative individuals are struggling staying creative. Of be, being involved in a creative aspect of their life, whatever that means, because life can be overwhelming. And also, mm. you know, sometimes, depending where we are in our life, we feel like something is missing or we might want to make some changes, but
1: it's a bit scary.
0: Mm. Everything that you talk about, everything you write about is so relevant, no well, matter.
1: I'm, I'm glad to hear it. That's a relief. You know, you always wonder when you when we make things and we put them out there on the internet where they will
0: live forever
1: mm-hmm. um you know, talking about you can... the internet
0: um I, i'm going to go back to that medium post right that really started well it didn't start things for you because the thoughts the feelings were there but they started kind of the new journey, journey chapter they encouraged you to to pursue that path you talked about that post on medium you did on the day when you were celebrating with your dad uh, his birthday and the reason i'm bringing it up is because we live in that era of uh, social media and posting everything out there but also expecting in many ways that our work will be liked literally liked or will get attention And I feel when you were talking about that post, uh, you were so genuine in describing your response. You didn't expect to get the response you actually got when you got back a few hours later to that post, when you talked about must and should and your thoughts on pursuing your path that is kind of um, uncertain and to some might seem a bit crazy. I thought that was really interesting. There was no; it seemed like there was no really expectation. There was a need to express something without waiting for a few thousand likes. And what happened was actually the likes have happened, and that was the thing. I think because so many people could re- relate to what you said. So I wanted to ask you, L, a A lot of people know about your work, but maybe there are some listeners who are not familiar with the book, "The Crossroads of Should and Must and Follow Your Passion." How did that come to life? What? Why does it even matter? Why did you have a need to share that with mm. the world? That's a great question.
1: Um, well, it all started with a dream. Mm-hmm. I yeah, last night I watched, um, I rewatched one of my favorite movies, which is The Matrix, the original Matrix movie, and uh, the opening scene. The main character, his name is Neo. he's asleep at his computer. and he he gets invited into this onto this adventure. And um, the reason he keeps following the breadcrumbs, so to speak, of this adventure is because he has a question. And I really related to that last night when I was watching it because I think my journey really started with a question. Um, which was almost, um, I could feel the question, but I didn't exactly know what the question was. Uh, But I could sense that there was more there than I was seeing, or there was more to life than I was picking up on. There was this feeling that something wasn't entirely um, expressed. And so back to your question of, you know, why did I write this book? I started getting um, I started getting more clear about the questions. And I felt like the questions started getting uh, stronger and they started getting richer. And like so many of my friends who are artists who have creative practices, you know we're we're journaling or we're jotting things down or we're tracking the origins of inspiration or, or the lack of inspiration or wherever we might be in our process. But I, I just began jotting down some of my questions. And I felt like I had entered into a period in my life where I I had a lot more questions than I had answers. And it felt really rich. And so I started tracking the questions like, um, you know, what's the point of all of this? And um, what's the point of, you know, being here in a body and being alive and being alive in particular, like right now. And, um, maybe the reason the book has continual resonance even today is because, you know, now in the midst of COVID and political upheaval, climate justice, racial injustice, um, refugee, you know, the whole, the list goes on and on, um, what is each of our unique roles within um, within society? And what is the particular genius or the particular must within each person, within each soul to um, to be expressed in our lifetime? And I, I was working at an amazing startup um, working around the clock and also having this recurring dream. And I felt like the dream began to really provoke the question. Um, which was really what's this all about, and what's uh, what am I really here to learn? And um, so the dream. Do you want me to just briefly tell you the dream?
0: Yes, please.
1: Okay. Well, the dream is um, I started having this dream of a warehouse. It was a, a a very very basic, rudimentary warehouse with white walls and warehouse windows. You've probably seen these warehouses in your own, you know, uh, your own history of all the amazing places you've gotten to work um but it was just like a very raw archetypal warehouse and it was it was um a place that I would go to in my dreams and it was filled with so much immensity and and in this space I would be filled with an overwhelming sense of calm and peace and I would sit in this room night after night And I didn't really know why I was having this dream, but why is often a a really unhelpful question, you know, what or how or where or when, those are really great questions to help open something up, but why just sort of puts us right into our rational mind and kind of um, can close down the magic of of a possibility. So I stayed away from why, and I I focused on the others. And a friend of mine said to me one day, well, have you ever thought about looking for this room in real life? And I hadn't, that idea had never crossed my mind. But then I I thought, well, that's kind of interesting. What if I did try to look for this warehouse? And um, eventually, after searching on Craigslist for a few months, I found the white room from my dreams in real life. And it was a, a warehouse in San Francisco. It was for rent. I rented it and I moved in. And, um, on my very first night there, I, uh, I took my seat on the floor, just like I had in my dream. And I looked around and I thought, oh my God, wait, what have I done? Like, why am I in a warehouse in the middle of, you know, this industrial part of San Francisco? And and I started to panic like, oh God, this is just, I, wow, I've really lost it here. And, um, so I decided to ask the room that had called me to it, and I said, "You know, why am I here?" And it wasn't so much a voice, but it was just like this internal voice. And the room said to me, "It's time to paint." Mm-hmm. And I'd painted all the time as a kid. I'd painted through high school, through I'd gone and gotten my master's degree in fine art, and but somewhere along the way, I had just kind of gotten off running a different race and doing other things, and and working in startups and. It was all great fun, um, but this was a real moment where I feel like, you know, I, I believe in souls and I felt like my soul was, was really kind of reaching out um, and grabbing me and saying, uh, pay attention, something's happening here and it's going to happen here in this space.
0: That's a beautiful story. So, you know, you described first, you described this calling and trying not to ask too many questions, that question why. So at, Things like trusting a little bit that calling and then mm-hmm. there was excitement right when you found that room but then he said also that when you sat down in an actual physical space there was this panic moment right so those moments seem to be natural to have it's not always the excitement even if you are on the path somewhere that is an exciting path or fulfilling path right it's it feels almost natural to have those moments of panic whatever they are or fear there's some sort of we can be scared because there's the unknown, totally. right? So it's not something. There's no guarantee, even when you are on the right path. That will always feel right.
1: Oh yeah, that's a great point. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And and um, oftentimes in my, you know, I've I've been now I you know sort of in this dream since 2012, and now it's 2020. Um, so eight years, and there's a lot of. Um, it's It's like being in a relationship. it's mm-hmm. it is complex. it has it has periods of drought. It has periods of, you know, unbelievable for fertileness. Mm-hmm. and um sometimes you're you're fighting, sometimes you're, you know back in love and and it's but it's a it's a daily choice. It is a conscious choice. And I think, That, you know, when I, after a few months in the white room, as I began really, really digging into not just my practice, but also I felt like it was the first time my work started really going internal. And my work was just, I I felt like I was kind of externally working out on the wall, on the canvas, um, what was happening internally. So it was almost like I was looking at these mirrors And I couldn't quite see inside myself, but I could see on the wall. I could see what was happening up there on the canvas. And it was the first time in my life that um, I sat down and wrote a blog post. I'm not a big blogger. I've never been a big, I mean, I like to write. I like to do daily journaling, but Mm -hmm. um, I've never been a big writer. And um, I sat down and I wrote this Medium post and I just collected the questions that were coming up in my practice. And I think that's why it resonates with people Mm -hmm. is because there weren't answers. It was just, um, it was, it's almost like a series of doorways. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and no matter where you were or, or what decisions you were making, um, just some things to really be mindful about as we're making decisions and we make decisions every day all the time. And Every time we make a decision, there are there are some underlying forces at work, and they do direct you know the course of our lives. It's like that I, I believe it's Annie Dillard, you know, she says the way we spend our our days is the way we spend our lives. So there's something very essential about um, the choices that we make day after day after day. And so I think that's why that post resonated with so many people. and maybe why it even is resonating now because decision making is still, a constant a constant choice
0: that's true and was it the time when did you did you decide to just completely dedicate yourself to painting so leave your design career how that and you know no. i want because that's see that's the question sometimes i hear And I call it excuses. And the reason why I call excuses because actually somebody, a good friend of mine, I'm kind of going a little bit, I'm taking a detour. That's how I often talk. So please bear with me. I'll I'll come back. I love detours. They're great. It's the good stuff. I promise you I'll come back. Some people can get frustrated, but I promise you there is a reason why I'm going there. It might take us a while, but you know. (laughs) So I remember, I'm going to start with myself. I'm going to use myself as an example. I was telling my dear friend that an artist. A very accomplished artist. I was telling my friend during lunch we we're having that I I am so busy. It was a few years ago. I was saying that, and I, I was I was creating art, but I was working full time. I was really busy, and and that was the truth. I mean, that was a fact. But I was I realized something. My friend was very polite about it, but slightly I think brought it up. Was trying to make a point. I said that I am so busy. I don't have time to create. And you know there was some truth to this to it because I was going to bed like really late I was working so much but my friend told me something and these are the words of wisdom that I always carry with me and I remember those words I never complain about not having time because I was told these are just excuses and my first reaction was kind of defensive response and I was about to say something that's not true you know I'm working so much that's not true it's almost like are you trying to tell me I'm not working hard but I stopped myself because I realized that was not going to be a genuine response I realized Mm. that really these were excuses and I had no more excuses so I needed to hear that so I am in a way unforgiving when I hear that from other people you know I try to be understanding because I, I know it takes time to get to that point to understand it and everybody has their own journey But um, I do frequently hear, I wish I had that time you have. And I, I laugh about it because I am a very, those who know me well, know how busy I am. But I think, you know, with social media and what we put out there, of course, I put nice images of nature on my work. So I really do not reveal my whole day, how busy it is that actually I did that work at two in the morning, or I went for that walk. I didn't spend 10 hours in nature, I wish. So it's kind of funny. I hear those stories. This is, I'm just so jealous. You walk constantly. And I, I love, As, yes, I do walk after I work for 10 hours. That's when I walk, or that's when I create work. So I remember your response too during the creative morning, because you brought up some questions. you It seemed like you were getting a lot of questions, either through blog, even Twitter, People were responding to you and asking you, and I think that there were different tones how the questions were asked. Like some people were saying, how do you do that? Or do I quit a job? I remember, and it was kind of funny, but I thought, yes, that's what we often ask. If I quit a job, like a job that pays my bills, can I do my, can I follow my must? Can I do my work?
1: That's and such a good question. Yeah. Yes.
0: Okay. So I will let you respond to that. Well, I, I, told I, you, that. I, told, sorry, I told you I'll come back. It was a detour, but I came back.
1: It it is you just set me up. It's perfect. Um, I think about um, yeah. I I um. I think there's um a a, a confusion that um, just because you want to pursue your must, uh, you know this these things that you burn for that you long for, um, these that you know, no matter what it is. Um, if you want more of that in your life, it doesn't mean that you need to quit your job. Uh, Oftentimes that's a terrible idea. Um, I would say nine times out of 10, it's really, really great to keep your job so that you don't have to worry about that part of your life. And then find time on nights and weekends to pursue your passion. Um, If you make a living from your art, that's amazing. That's great. You are lucky. We are all cheering for you. And, um, but most of the time it's not, it's not really like that. And you also have to ask your paintings if they want to be responsible for your health insurance. Mm -hmm. You know, if I ever felt like I had to sell something in order to, you know, pay rent, I, I would be really stressed out. I would maybe paint different paintings if I felt that way. So you do have to have a very earnest conversation about, you know, you know, if if I don't sell these sculptures and you know my child isn't able to get to school safely, like how do I feel about that? So like we live on planet Earth where we we do unfortunately have to sing for our supper. So you do have to think about finances. We all do. And um, I'll read this, this is an excerpt from the book about money. Um this is this is my tough talk. If you want to get by on this planet, you must make money. If you have obligations or a family or a mortgage, you must make more money. <laughs> if doing what you love doesn't pay the bills, then you must find another way to make money, period. And I started looking at different people throughout time um, who had figured out different ways you know, of combining their, their, the way they made money and their creative endeavors. And I didn't know that T.S. Eliot, the author T.S. Eliot, he was also a banker. And another author, Kurt Vonnegut, he was a a car salesman, which I think is hilarious. And Philip Glass, who actually even just, um, he worked here in Sausalito for some time, one of the greatest composers of our time. He didn't earn a living from making music until he was 42. And even as his work was premiering at the Met, Philip Glass, of all people, was um, working as a plumber and renewed his taxi driver's license, you know, just in case. Mm-hmm. And there's this great quote in the book um, of of Philip Glass, uh, where he says, uh, "This is an interview with him. Um, this is the uh, this is the uh, art critic for um, the New York Times." He said, while working, I suddenly heard a noise and looked up to find Robert Hughes, the art critic of Time magazine, staring at me in disbelief. But you're Philip Glass. What are you doing here? Well, it was obvious that I was installing his dishwasher, and I told him I would soon be finished. But you're an artist, he protested. I explained that I was an artist, but that I was sometimes a plumber as well, and he should go away and let me finish.
0: I think I would feel the same way if I saw Philip Glass installing my dishwasher, right? I mean, I don't think... I would be in disbelief.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, and I think this is such a great... This is the this is the, the one thing I would say... Well, not the one thing, but this is important. Is um, When we're talking about practicality, there are so many ways to design a life and there's so many options to choose from. And there's dignity in all work. And um, if you want to find your calling, it doesn't mean you need to quit your job. And if you, um, if you do something to make money, it doesn't make that work dirty. Uh, Just figure out whatever you need to, I mean, if you have a a job, let's say that's 80 hours a week and by, you know, Saturday afternoon, you're totally exhausted and on the floor, you're probably not going to want to go and play your flute. Mm -hmm. Um, So I would say, you know, maybe look for a different kind of job or look for a job that is um, actually allows for time on nights and weekends for you to pursue your calling. You can just start to get creative and design it. But I totally agree with you saying that you don't have time. Um, you know, it's, it's uh, usually that, that can be a nice place for some resistance mm-hmm. to hide. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's this book called 2150 AD and in it, they say something very wise. Uh, the author, Thea Alexander, she writes, we only have the problems we really want to have. So, um, whenever I'm in, a, whenever I'm like resisting my work or I'm not getting into the studio or I'm not in it, it's mm-hmm. like, what's the problem right now that I actually am really wanting to have that's keeping me from doing my creative work?
0: Mm-hmm. I think, and I, I and I completely understand you know, being tired. And sometimes we need to take a step back. Yes, we can be exhausted, but for some reason, I think I was ready as far as my friend, to hear from my friend. I was ready not to be too defensive because I could have shut down, but I heard it and I thought, it's just, I can't save and it's just so true.
1: And yeah, it was really
0: helpful to hear that. It wasn't pleasant to hear that, but it was actually a nice way my friend put it because that was really tiring to hear me always saying the same thing. And well, it far-
1: was also very risky for your friend to say that, right? Like she oh, kind of went out on a limb because she probably knew she was poking a sensitive place
0: oh definitely
1: and she Mm -hmm. and she loves you so much that she would risk telling you the truth Mm -hmm. and that's a big deal right
0: so now talking about work work that sometimes is not our calling well let's talk about work that is our calling so there are two questions one is actually the 100 day project talking about having no time or having a little time oh there's another thing sometimes we say i don't have five hours to do my work well, there's very few of us who have five hours a day to do that creative work i wish i had that but i also find myself when i have five hours then suddenly i do all those things that are not my work you know what i mean i I lounge, I drink my coffee. Suddenly I have to do five other things. And then it's only 15 minutes left anyway. So it's a fantasy, I think. It's more (laughs) than a fantasy of five hours yeah yeah, so I won't even go there, but uh, what is the hundred day project? Because I think this is a perfect this is a perfect way of engage oneself in a creative act without five hours to spare well i have
1: I have to laugh about having five hours to do your creative work because my house never looks cleaner. Than when I have, you know, all weekend to write, you know, and it's like the laundry is not only folded, but folded like in special little like kind of, you know, sushi forms and everything's been color coded.
0: (laughs) It's a creative project. It's another book on that. Yeah, I I can completely relate.
1: And I love it, you know, when I'm supposed to get into the studio to work and then like I have a whole new idea about a new project I should start. You know, it's it's just I mean, but anyway, that's the way it goes. Okay. Um, the, I'm so glad you asked about the 100 Day Project. It's so much fun. It's one of the most fun things ever. Um, so the 100 Day Project is a free and open project for anybody, anywhere, um, to commit themselves to a project, um, a repeatable daily action every day for a hundred days. And I've I've co facilitated with my friend Lindsay Jean Thompson. And um, but we didn't start the project. We got the idea from Michael Beirut. He's the legendary designer. Um, He started this as a class at Yale for his MFA students. And um, I heard about this project that he led with his students, and I really wanted to do it. So I actually applied to Yale for my MFA. Um, so, I could go and work with Michael Beirut and take this class. And I didn't get into the MFA program. And I remember being so bummed. And it was like seven years later, and I'm walking down some dusty road in the middle of Mexico. And I thought to myself, oh, you don't have to go to Yale to do the 100 day project. So, I got together with a group <laughs> of like a dozen friends. And, you know, on the first Tuesday in April, that's when we start every year, we put out a big call and we said, here, we're going to do Michael's project. Who wants to do it? and we had like 50,000 people. And since then we have, um, I don't know, there's millions of posts online. If you just search, if you search on Instagram for hashtag the 100 day project, Mm -hmm. uh, you'll get, Mm -hmm. you'll get all these, um, all these posts. So um, some people like will write a haiku every day for a hundred days or like, Um, there was this one dad who I just adored. He had three daughters that all at the same time decided that they wanted to become a vegan. So for a (laughs) hundred days, he cooked 100 vegan recipes for his daughter. And then he would do their little reviews as his post Mm -hmm. with thumbs up and thumbs down for what they thought of each of the recipes. Um, Other people do like a watercolor a day for a hundred days or a hundred days of learning how to tie knots, like the artist Wendy Chin. That's how her work Mm -hmm. started. Uh, She's now a very, very prolific, famous Mm -hmm. artist. And that started off with just her every day learning how to tie a different knot with rope. Uh Um, Photographers, you know, do a portrait a day or Mm -hmm. um, people do all kinds of things. But I think the point is um, whenever I talk about uh, the 100-day project before it starts, I tell people to take the project, simplify it, and then simplify it again and make sure that they can do it in under 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. And you would be amazed what happens to people's creative life when they, instead of thinking they have to write the next great American novel, or they've got to be the next, you know, um, uh, you know, great filmmaker or, you know, do something fantastic. They just have to sit down and do a little doodle for Mm -hmm. 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you just, you start laying down track and you start getting mileage and you know on day 50 on day 60 on day 70 like you have got a body of work and it's growing and it's layering and by the end of 100 days the work that comes out of this project every year is so phenomenal and people's lives are totally transformed
0: I can imagine
1: it's incredible so we'll start that again in April and if for anybody okay. who wants to get information on it you can go to the 100dayproject.org Okay. And get all the and, information,
0: mm-hmm. and we will uh, post it on our website.
1: Under oh, great your
0: episode! Great. So we'll share that. Yes. Oh. So this starts in April. Yeah, that's when. It's, okay, April. Well, but you can do I,
1: a 100-day project anytime. You could start okay. one
0: right now. I have to think about it. I've never done any projects of that sort. Maybe I actually need it. So I'm going to think about it. Maybe there is something for me because I have this idea what I want to do. What would this you do? Project Oh, I want to work with uh, something in my medium that I haven't done for a long time. I started in summer, but I just abandoned that idea. I have this, a set of uh, drawings in watercolor and I called, I started the project, but because I don't have five hours a day, mm-hmm. I don't do the project. <laughs> so if I simplify it, I think that's the key because yeah. otherwise I'm looking at my, I'm sitting right now and I'm looking at my drafting table. That's where it all started. I even got a new drafting table for that project. Okay. That's how, I have this perfect drafting table. That I used twice a few months ago. There's always excuse not to use it. I'm busy, but realistically, I won't be able to use it for quite some time. So if I give myself maybe fifteen minutes a day, I think I might get somewhere. otherwise, i'm I think the more I see that table that is not being used, I'm getting more frustrated right now, it's a quiet frustration, but I'm afraid it's growing in me. So so I think that's I'm a
1: probably- great that's a great project. and for for anybody else who would have a similar project, what I would say is, Um, sometimes people can say like, well, I'm going to do a drawing a day and, and I'm not going to get up from the drafting table until it's complete. And I, and, and and that's a, that's fine. People are welcome to try that. And I have found people have had more luck with a time limit Mm -hmm. so that they can say, um, I'm going to paint every day for 15 minutes Mm -hmm. and whatever I can accomplish in 15 minutes is what I'm going to do. But then I'm, I'm going to keep going with my day. And it's a way... Mm -hmm. To also just have confidence, like oh, I met my goal. I met my goal. I met my goal. Instead of having an open-ended goal where it's um, Mm -hmm. you know like maybe painting that orchid, you know ends up taking five hours, and then the next day you're like, well, you know that's Mm -hmm. just too much time. How can how can I do that?
0: And I started that project because I wanted to be challenged. I realized one day that I primarily work with video photography and I digital media, and I realized that. As much as I love it, it became in a way, I wouldn't say simple, but it it's not that difficult for me. And it's not about the technical aspect of it. Of course, it's about story, right? And concept. But I felt, especially in summer COVID-19 times when I spent so much time indoors, I felt like I wanted to challenge myself. I wanted to feel the frustration of the unknown, of the fact that I'm clumsy at something. I have to figure it out again. So that was the, the idea behind it. And I started, and I wasn't, of course, very happy with the first outcome, right? Of course, I wasn't happy because it was like very new. I was learning to walk pretty much again. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think that's where I'm going to go. You know, I, I have to go back to my drafting table and make peace there. So I think the 100-day project would be perfect fit. And I had another question, Ella, mm-hmm. for you. I wanted to ask you about your paintings. Mm. So I, I saw some; they were beautiful. They were beautiful paintings, and I wanted to ask you, how do you get there? Like, what, I'm not asking of like maybe what it represents because it, it might not be the right question. But what? How do you get there? Why do you make them? Like, what is that driving force? Is, is there any particular inspiration behind them? What is it? Why do you? Why do you have to paint?
1: Oh my gosh, that's a great question. Thank you for not asking me what they're
0: about. <laughs> yes. What does the circle represent?
1: <laughs> why do you paint? Why? What? Why do you have to make art? Mm-hmm. Um, wow how much time do we have? We could talk about this until 2021. For me, um, hold on, let me see. It's so unlanguageable. Let me find the words. Uh, what's coming to me right now is, um, one of my best friends, uh, and collaborator, her name is Susie Herrick. Um, we authored the last book that we wrote was together. Your story is your power. Um, when he, when her father, who I knew very well, um, when he was in the hospital on his deathbed, he and they had a beautiful relationship. She wrote about her relationship with her father in her book called Aphrodite Emerges. And I got to do all the paintings for that book, which was a real honor. And on his deathbed, um, he, we were all just sitting in the hospital room and, um, and he was so sweet and he was, you know, he knew he was kind of slipping away and he was asking Susie if he could call friends and, uh, you know, he he was calling his old buddies, his old fraternity brothers, his old clients, and, you know, just having these, saying his goodbyes. Mm -hmm. And he hung up the phone, after talking with somebody and he said, you know, I think the whole point of life is to love more.
0: That's beautiful.
1: And I, th- I guess I'm going to borrow his, his words. I think my work is um, why do I have to make art and paint and ask these questions? And, and why do I do this? I, th- I think it's to figure out how to love
0: more. Thank you. That's really, really beautiful. So, El, I know we—it's time to finish this conversation. I really don't want to finish it. I wish I had five hours <laughs> to have this conversation, but I guess that you know, fifteen minutes has to do. It's a bit more than that. I have a question for you. You live in a beautiful area. You live in Northern California, yeah. and that's that area. I call that part of the world my home still and nature was a big part that's really why I, one of the many reasons i love that area but nature is just superb they're insignificant it's just it's it's a big part of our life when we are there does nature have an impact on your own mm, work
1: absolutely i i think my sense is that the the great question of our time is our relationship to nature our relationship with um mother earth with the planet uh with with feeling connected and at one with this planet and having um, I mean being out in nature is one of the ways that I um, I, I it, it's like kind of getting out of my head and, and into my body when I'm in front of a flower a beautiful flower that is in full bloom with the most exquisite colors and all these organic shapes and patterns I I mean it's just it it's, it's unlanguageable. It just makes you want to weep. It's so beautiful. And nature is filled with abundance and with beauty. And we're also destroying nature. And um, I I think the great question of our time is, will we, will we change our relationship with the planet? And will we advocate for the planet? And I have this necklace on. Um, I put it on this morning, actually. it's a, It's a, a little golden icon that my my mother got in Rome when she was a little girl, and it's a picture of of uh, Mary holding Jesus. And I'm holding. I, I I decided to wear this today because I think there's this really interesting thing happening with um, if uh, the planet as the mother, and um and and we as the children. And this, we're having to figure out how to remother ourselves to figure out how to be a good steward here on the planet. I think there's a lot of mothering and remothering happening at a lot of levels. And so, absolutely, nature is, um, nature is, is, plays a profound role in my work. And I think when I, when I grow up, I'd, I'd like to help, um, I'd like to help. Try to um, be a better, be a better steward here on this on this beautiful planet. So a lot of my work, hopefully, is is pointed that way in terms of preserving, and protecting um, the beauty that we
0: have. Thank you so much, Elle. Thank you for being so gracious, and thank you once again for being so kind. When I invited you, I would like to bring it up. When I reached out to you and you didn't really know me, well, I had met you, but you really didn't know me. You were so got kind. You immediately agreed to be a special guest on Crazy Bird Podcast. You, didn't, you weren't even scared by the name Crazy. And you were so enthusiastic, which was really inspiring. And I really want to say thank you for that. Thank mm-hmm. you for being such an inspiring person. Well, I'm
1: honored to be here. We, we, you and I have traveled a lot of ground together at this point.
0: <laughs> yes, we. Oh, well, at this point, yes. <laughs> We're not, not at anymore. the crossroads anymore. Do we just keep on moving? Where are we going?
1: <laughs> That's right. Thank you, Violeta. It's wonderful. <laughs> Thank to be you. Here. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Crazy Bird Podcast. The Crazy Bird Podcast is hosted by Violeta Kamińska. Our guest for this episode was Elle Luna. Elle's books, The Crossroads of Should and Must, Find and Follow Your Passion, and Your Story is Your Power Free Your Feminine Voice, that was co-authored with Susie Herrick, are available on Amazon. You can find Elle online at elluna.com, and on Instagram and Twitter at lluna. Our theme music is inspired by Tambourine by French composer Francois Joseph Gossek. The improvisation is performed by Agnieszka Kovalik. The opening nature recording was recorded by Violeta Kamińska. The closing recording of A Thunderstorm and our talkative consultant, a teenage barred owl of Savannah, Aka Kid was recorded by Savannah local Wesley North. This episode was edited and produced by Violeta Kamińska.